came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning. What a great show we have for you today. We have Dr. Peter Michalos, How Do We Live Longer, Mario Kanamu on Europe, What the Heck is Going On, Larry Kudlow on the Economy, Kent Heckin Lively. What happened to CNN? And let's start off with Admiral James Savridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. One smart guy. Good morning, Admiral. Hey, John, it's great to be with you, and I want to start by just congratulating you on your book that just came out, How Far Do You Want to Go?, which I think has a subtitle like Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. And I read it last weekend, John, and I just loved it. And I wanted to tell you that personally and also to say to people who are listening, it's just a very authentic book, and it concludes with 16 great life lessons that I think are just terrific. And I'm just going to quote one in the context of this upcoming talk. And and it comes from my time as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Your number one rule, John, is you can't win if you're too afraid of losing. And that was something I really kept in mind as a NATO commander. And I keep it in mind today as I look at the situation in Ukraine. So well done on your book, sir. Well, thank you so much, Admiral, and I admire your uh, uh, everything that you have accomplished as a uh, former Greek immigrant. Uh, your parents were, and uh, it, it is an honor for to hear it from you. And uh, let's talk about the world. There's so many things going on, and uh, I've never been so afraid uh, of uh, of a problem until uh, the last year or two. Are we going to face a lot of world challenges? John, I think there's going to be uh, a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be a lot of tactical flashpoints. Good example would be the Chinese spy balloon that flew over the country a couple weeks ago. Uh, And there'll be ups and downs in the tensions that are out there, Uh, most notably in Ukraine, I think, which is, of course, an active combat situation. But, yes, there will be tactical ups and downs. But I think strategically, Um, The long throw of history is marching along toward a more integrated global economy, toward cooperation, um, and certainly we'll see competition from China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, but they don't have the... They don't have the global economic throwaway to really disrupt the world. And, And just to conclude on that point, John, people need to bear in mind that as you look at Uh, gross domestic product globally, the sum of all goods and services, U.S., Europe, Japan, Australia, South Korea, the West, if you will, that's about 65% of the world's gross domestic product. Russia's 2%. Uh, China is bigger, you know, kind of 17, 18% getting bigger. But if you add Russia to it, it's kind of 20%. It's about a third of the size of the West. 
So I take uh, some optimism from all that, recognizing that we do have uh, significant potential tensions ahead in Ukraine with China, with Iran, and with North Korea. Admiral, what's more important to China, its relationship with Russia or its relationship with, uh, with the West? You know, you put your finger on the big question, and I think in Beijing, you see mixed signals right now. So on the one hand, you see a China that is putting forth a peace plan in Ukraine that is in some ways seeking to work with the United States. And and why are they doing that? Not out of the goodness of their heart, but because they know that's the path to grow their economy. They massively constrained their economy by the COVID lockdown. They're coming out of that now, but they're facing a, a global recession. So they need to get economic growth back. The way to do that is to trade with the West. Um, so that's one side of this, but your point, and it's a good one. On the other side of this, is China is an authoritarian state that is naturally inclined to line up with other authoritarian states. The other huge one, of course, is Russia. So politically, China wants to kind of lean toward Russia. They want to buy that oil at a big discount, which they are doing. But in terms of economics, they kind of lean the other way because they want a big functioning global economy. So it's a tough call for Beijing. And I think you're going to see mixed signals. Also, uh, we've talked in the past about uh, a NATO country, uh, um, Turkey, and uh, they wake up in the morning and decide whose side they're on because they're very close to the Russians. And now we have another mixed signals, it looks like, from India. Where does India really stand? I think it's a similar situation to what you're seeing in China, but there's one big difference, John. Uh, India is all about the economics. You know, they have not only a massive population, they'll overtake China as the most populous state in the world in the middle of this decade in just a few years. But unlike China, they haven't been able to lift a billion people out of poverty. So they have a huge economic deficit. And therefore, India ultimately is all about the economics. They're going to work with Russia because they can buy deeply discounted oil under the current circumstances. They also have a historical military-to-military relationship with Russia going back to the Cold War. They use some Russian equipment. On the other hand, they are looking for where the economics of uh, the global situation can increase flow of wealth to India. So look for them as the old saying goes, to follow the money. Um, I don't think they're going to politically align themselves with Russia, but economically they're going to trade with Russia because that's where the money is for them. Understood. They're buying, uh, it comes back to oil. They're buying uh, oil at a significant discount yep. uh, from Russia, and that's the, that's the payoff of Russia to uh, whether it's China or whether it's India. And uh, people have to realize it, it's, a, it's a payoff in a way. And uh, uh, we understand that. And uh, uh, the other significant. Indeed. Let me, John, uh, add one more yes. point to that. Um, good, good story in the Wall Street Journal this morning about Russian 
technocrats. These are young men. I think they are all young men um, who have been trained in the West. They've worked at big Western banks, big Western finance companies, Western energy companies. They're coming back to Russia and helping Putin rewire the international energy uh, matrix, if you will. And so Putin is clever. I'll give him that. He's a clever tactician. He's a bad strategist, but he's a clever tactician. And so he's seeking to rewire the global energy structure, flowing Russian oil and gas principally to India and China. Yes, at discounted rates, but it keeps the traffic moving. And final thought here, one of those young analysts um, in the story goes down to Congo in Africa and cuts a huge infrastructure and energy deal. So we shouldn't underestimate Putin's ability to get out and about the world to keep uh, petrodollars flowing into Russia. Understood. Uh, China. Uh, let's go back to the Far East now. And uh, what do you think China's position is going to be uh, long term in the Far East as far as uh, uh, the, the big item on the on the uh, on the table is Taiwan? Um, and uh, I talked to another uh, a Navy man like uh, we both know, of, but I'm not going to mention his name, uh, is that he is concerned uh, that the uh, Chinese might have us outnumbered in uh, ships, uh, et cetera, uh, in, uh, uh, in the uh, Far East or in the uh, Taiwan area. Um, do you feel that we're getting outgunned in that area? I think broadly speaking, China has more warships than we do. They have about 360. We have around 300. But we should remember ours are more capable, bigger. We have nuclear aircraft carriers. We have much more experience operating them globally. And we can concentrate them if we needed to into, for example, the South China Sea. So, yes, they have more ships. At this point, I wouldn't use the phrase we're outgunned there, but I think if you talk to the chief of naval operations, the secretary of the Navy, Carlos Del Toro, um, anybody, both political or in uniform, they would tell you we need to increase our ship construction capability, and I fall in that camp. Because at the end of the day, numbers matter. Quantity has a quality all its own, as the saying goes. So, yes, we need to increase ship numbers. Um, We've also got to bear in mind it's not just about ships in the South China Sea. It's about long-range aircraft. Uh, That's principally Air Force attack uh, cruise missile carrying bombers. Um, It's about the U.S. Marine Corps' ability to operate tactically behind Chinese maritime lines throughout the uh, East Asian region. And the Army has a role to play here. So it's really all of our defense spending needs to look toward China, and we need to overmatch the Chinese threat. And I think to do that, we're going to have to not only increase our spending somewhat, not not dramatically, but somewhat more increase in our spending, but also spend it smarter, John, more cyber, more satellites, more maritime, as we've talked about, um, more special forces, more unmanned vehicles, that kind of 21st century capability is where we need to go. Admiral, we've got a minute left. What do you want to tell the American people? They're, they're drinking uh, their black coffee on a Sunday morning. Give, give the American people 
uh, your analysis of where do we want to be a year or two from now? Yeah, I think the thing for Americans to remember is right where we started this conversation, John, it's it's perfectly understandable that people open up a newspaper, turn on the television, and they see very concerning situations, a war in Ukraine, China on the march in the South China Sea, Iran and North Korea we haven't even touched on this morning. And so it's very concerning. But I would say to all of us, there is nothing we cannot overcome as Americans because of the advantages we have here. Huge arable land, fresh water, high-tech industries, an amazing military, um, every advantage you can imagine. We just have to pull together as Americans. We've got political divisions in the country. We need to pull together. If we do, we can overcome all of these challenges. Admiral, thank you so much for your uh, uh, service to our country and your continuing uh, speaking for out for our country. And I wish you were standing next to the president of the United States, giving him the advice, because you I have the American people have a lot of faith in you. John, you're too kind. And uh, as a fellow author and a fellow Greek-American, Efkaristopoli, uh, for this wonderful interview. Thank you. We'll catch, uh, we'll catch up uh, in a few weeks, and thank you so much. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. Good Sunday morning. Welcome back. With us today is Kent Hecken Lively, and uh, he's an author of a new book, and he has had many successful books. I believe he's had uh, two best-selling, uh, and he'll tell us about it. And the, the, the one we're talking about today is about the fall of CNN. Uh, Kent, tell us about your, uh, your history, about the books you have written. So this is my third book with a Project Veritas whistleblower, and James O'Keefe was kind enough to write the foreword to this book. It's called This Was CNN, How Sex, Lies, and Spies Undid the World's Worst News Network. It starts with the story of Kerry Porch, who is a Project Veritas whistleblower. He went to work for CNN as a satellite uplink technician, meaning he's the guy who gets the news van ready to go to breaking stories. He started working for CNN as a Bernie Sanders supporter. So he was a Bernie bro going into CNN. The first big job he was supposed to do for them was to drive the truck to Charlottesville. So he was on scene when CNN hatched its terrible traitorous very fine people hoax against Donald Trump. So here he is, a Bernie bro. He's watching everything unravel in real time. He sees that Trump says what any American president should say in a time of crisis. And then he watches as CNN 
twist his words. And to talk a little bit about CNN during this time, literally a half an hour before that nutcase drove into the crowd of protesters, who did CNN have on its screens for an extended interview? But David Duke, the former grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. So if there was anybody hyping the violence, it was CNN, and this really disgusted uh, Kerry Porch, and uh, that was the first thing that got him thinking that something wasn't right at CNN. He continued to watch with a jaded eye, and this eventually led him to Project Veritas. I remember when Ted Turner founded CNN in 1980. I mean, that's uh, he had his own peculiarities, but I thought he tried to be fair and square. At what point? Did CNN go wrong? The book really opens up as a love letter to Ted Turner and his vision. He had this idea that whenever there was a controversial subject, you know, of the political, in the political realm, you'd have the a, the smartest guy on the left debate the smartest guy on the right. They'd go at it for 15, 20 minutes, and then you let the audience decide. So he was a definite lefty, you know, really kind of a damaged human being in a lot of ways, but he did some remarkable things. And I think what people don't realize is that in about 2003, Ted Turner was pushed out of CNN. Uh, Time Warmer, Warner came in and bought it, and he was promised all these sorts of things that he'd have influence, but they, they never gave it to him. And so he's effectively been silenced. And I think 2003, 2004 is when the drift started to happen at CNN. I remember those days. I remember, to, you say the word Time Warner, uh, Nick Nicholas was the head of the CEO of Time, and when they merged, they got rid of you know Nick Nicholas, and I guess they got rid of uh, uh, Ted Turner after that. Yeah, and so he really has had no influence that uh, made it possible for the rise of Jeff Zucker. And a lot of things were going on in the media environment at that time. I mean, it was Steve Ross, Steve Ross of yeah. Warner Communications. And, and is that when Zucker came in and, and changed the whole uh, decor of CNN? He came in and, uh, you know, what was happening is also uh, because of technology, news agencies were able to find out how emotionally people were responding. And I, I've often said, you know, they figured out how to give, you know, pick your poison, sugar or heroin, but they figured out how to give a high to their their viewers and they started doing it. And, and you know, CNN is doing poorly now, but, you know, in, in January of 2021, CNN had some of its highest ratings, but, you know, the crash inevitably happened because, you know, like the fall of the Roman Empire, when they when they uh, defeat the last of the Germanic tribes, there's nobody left to fight and they start fighting among themselves. And I think that's what CNN has fallen victim to. On its heyday, how many people did CNN have watching it and what is it now? Well, you know, I, I believe in, in January of uh, 2021, they probably had somewhere around two and a half to three million. Um, now they're lucky if they get 700,000 a night. And, you know, one of the terrible things is, you know, the, the media has really is not serving the American public because 
between Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, only about four to five million Americans are watching those channels per night. And so when you think that, you know, there's 320 million, uh, they're turning off a whole lot of people. And, uh, you know, we need some better media, uh, some more balanced media in order to get people watching it again and and feeling like they're going to learn something, not just that they're going to have their own prejudices uh, reinforced. Understood. Understood. I mean, it's it's so sad because I remember in the days of uh, Ted Turner, he really, really wanted to do the right thing. And uh, it's so sad it went down so far. Anything else you want to tell people about your, your book? Where Where is it available? In uh, uh, Barnes & Noble or... Uh, or yeah, on Amazon? Amazon. The, the, the big takeaway from the book, the most disturbing thing, is I hired some of the world's best researchers to do a deep dive into CNN. And what we found was this really strange pattern of news journalists and people working producing the news leaving cnn for a period of a year or two going to work for the government in an intelligence capacity and then coming back and working at cnn and so uh the most prominent of these was um jim secuto who is an anchor and national security correspondent he left for a year and a half to become uh chief of staff at the u.s embassy in beijing china and special advisor to ambassador gary locke and you say to yourself, well, how can a newsman go to work for a government, sign secrecy oaths with the government, and then we're supposed to believe that he comes back and is an independent journalist? And, you know, for, for people like me who are a little bit older, who remember things like Operation Mockingbird, which was something that, you know, the lefties in the 70s were talking about when over 400 journalists were on the pay of the CIA. Uh, the question today is how much are the intelligence agencies influencing news organizations like CNN? All I can say is more than you think. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny. We identify 21 individuals and give their backgrounds, and these are from their own self-reported sources. So maybe I've just identified the 21 stupidest intelligence agents in our entire government. When I present this information to people, like it had to be vetted. Uh, it was vetted by a former FBI agent of 33 years and one of the country's best constitutional lawyers, uh, Danny Sheehan, and they told me I'd barely scratched the surface. You barely scratched the surface. Yes. Thank yep. you so much, uh, Kent. We, we we hope to talk to you again real soon. And and uh, when you re, when you do your next book, I look forward to talking to you. All right. Thanks so much. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what a heart believes in. With us today is Dr. Peter Michalos, and uh, a scientist, a, med- a medical uh, 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 person, and uh, one smart guy. And uh, today he's with us, and he says he wants to talk to us about 
how the hell do we live longer? And uh, Dr. Michalos, what ideas do you have today? Well, good morning, John. Good morning, Captain Table audience. Today I want to talk about the uh, blood test in your annual physical and some of the 10 most important blood tests for uh, longevity. And sometimes some of the tests you have to ask for because sometimes on a routine physical, they might not do them. Usually we want to start off with the CBC, which is a complete blood count, which gives you a lot of information about, for example, your WBC or your white blood cell count, and that tells you whether you have an infection or not. Sometimes the basic CBC can spot if you have leukemia, for example, or if your white blood cells or your lymphocytes are too low, it means you have an immune compromised situation. And the other uh, blood tests that uh, we normally do are for uh, fasting blood sugar. Fasting blood sugar is very important, but there's another one that's even more important, like it's called the hemoglobin A1C. And that tells you your blood sugar levels for the last 90 days. And it gives you the best picture of blood sugar control. And what is it? It's the percentage of sugar that's attached to your red blood cell hemoglobin. And that will give you a great idea of whether you're pre-diabetes, diabetes, and it tells us the risk of heart attack and stroke because diabetes is associated with an increased risk of those uh, conditions. Is it a type of A1C test where it gives you the long-term uh, uh, sugar content in your blood system? Yes, it shows you the percentage of sugar that gets bound to your hemoglobin, which is the iron part of your red blood cell, which is a taxi cab that tra tra travels the oxygen throughout your blood vessels to the various organs. And another little tidbit for the day is how many organs does the human body have? We have 78 organs, and we have to feed all 78 of them. And uh, we just think of the big ones, but there's little ones like the parathyroids and the adrenals and all these other different things. The other thing that's very important to check is your TSH thyroid profile because that's basically the thermostat of your body. It's like your spark plug and if you have hypothyroidism and your thyroid is low, you start to gain weight, you can have depression, you get dry skin, you get, I spot a lot of people when I look at their faces because they have lateral thinning of their eyebrow. When your eyebrows start getting thin on the outer portion and your voice gets a little hoarse, that's a sign of hypothyroidism. So if you have that, you have to replace it with thyroid hormone. Or you can have too much thyroid hormone where your heart is pounding, beating fast, you're losing too much weight, you're nervous, you have anxiety, and also you have to sometimes check when you have abnormal thyroid. You do an ultrasound of the head and neck and you find sometimes benign thyroid tumors or cancerous thyroid tumors or parathyroid tumors, which is another organ adjacent to the thyroid and that can be picked up with that simple blood test. Another important blood test is called fibrinogen which oftentimes doctors don't check routinely and it tells you and fibrinogen is a contributor to blood clots and it can tell you if you have an increased risk of heart attack, strokes and general inflammation in the body and it can even be elevated in people with rheumatoid arthritis and kidney inflammation. So that's another marker that sometimes you have to ask for, which is very, very important. There are other inflammation markers like the homocysteine levels, which is another marker of inflammation. And there's also something called C-reactive protein and highly sensitive C-reactive protein, which is also found in inflammatory conditions. And those are predictors for less longevity if your if uh, C-reactive protein is high. And the other thing that's fascinating is they did a study 
where they had uh, several hundred people do flossing on a regular basis, multiple times a day after every meal. And they ended up having lower C-reactive proteins. So there is that connection between dental health and heart attacks, strokes, and cardiovascular peripheral disease. So it's very important that we have frequent visits and follow-ups to our dentists and having regular dental and teeth cleaning. And those people who don't have dental insurance, there are ways to get cheaper uh, dental evaluations in clinics under the supervision of attending physicians. And all the dental schools have these clinics where you can get cleanings and sometimes even a, a cavity, a cap, or a tooth and pay a quarter of the price of your word if you're underinsured, and that's a tidbit. The other thing is an uh, important blood test, which is not often done. And uh, I know another case recently uh, of someone who found sarcoma, another one who found a pancreatic cancer using the gallery test by Grail, which is a blood test that can spot 50 different cancers before they even start, founded by a gentleman whose wife died in Silicon Valley of breast cancer. And he said there's got to be a better way. So with this blood test, you can actually find the earliest signs of a cancer just when it starts in the bloodstream before it shows up on blood tests, MRIs, or a physical, and you can save people lives, including someone that I recommended get it. They found an ovarian cancer early on that did not show up on any test, and then finally they did an MRI after the gallery test showed positive ovarian signal, and they were able to treat it early, and that person's going to go on to have a normal healthy life. We talked about in the past that uh, uh, I stopped using a mouthwash that had alcohol in it because our discussion was that the alcohol kills a lot of the good genes. Um, yeah. And uh, we, we talked about possibly uh, uh, getting a, uh, uh, a probiotic that will give us back the genes that uh, alcohol kills. Uh, in addition, uh, what best way to wash out your mouth if you're not going to use uh, a mouthwash with with uh, alcohol. Okay. How about the old-fashioned way, maybe uh, water and uh, salt? Well, the problem, I think good old-fashioned toothpaste works just fine. The problem with salt is as we get older is that when we have high blood pressure, using that salt may not always be the best thing. Sometimes after you have a dental procedure or your tooth pull, salt gargling is helpful. Why? Because salt causes an osmotic shift which pulls fluid out of the cells, tightens them up so you don't bleed as much uh, when you gargle with salt water after a dental procedure. But a good old-fashioned uh, toothbrush is just fine and rinsing well. The idea is you don't want to swallow too much of antibacterials or too much of alcohol because that can also have effect on the good bacteria and the microbiome, just like excessive alcohol disrupts the microbiome. And that little thin layer of mucus between our gut and the bacteria and our bloodstream in that intestinal layer gets damaged by alcohol. And that's why the large European study even showed that people who have, especially women, more than four alcoholic beverages a week have a much higher incidence of getting cancer. Say that one again. If you have four or more alcoholic beverages a week, your cancer rate increases dramatically, especially in women in a large European Union study done with alcohol. So not only does it disrupt the microbiome, so everything is moderation. We've learned that our, we're just a big bag of chemicals and we need to biohack and do our blood work and monitor things, eat a balanced diet, try to uh, never smoke because it takes 10 years off your life and limit alcoholic beverages and try to lose weight. And we talked about intermittent fasting and its importance and uh, having a multivitamin on board 
or something with fish oil in it and the good omega-3 fatty acids, things with vitamin A and C. And as we talked about vitamin D, and there's so much literature coming out recently with vitamin D and dementia, if you have, and also people who have cancers have been found to have lower vitamin D levels. So keeping that vitamin D level up also they found in COVID, the people who had higher D levels ended up in the hospital less. The people who ended up dying or ended up in the hospital tended to have lower vitamin D levels. And it's also associated with depression because vitamin D is a hormone and it's a precursor to serotonin production, which is the happy hormone in our brain. And it also is made in our gut and vitamin D in our gut is also part of it. And the good bacteria help us make those happy hormones. So all these different tests are very important to check and to have a healthy, uh, balanced uh, diet and uh, continue to listen to WABC so we can keep our audience healthy and living for a long time and always check with your own physician before you start any vitamin or any diet program. Well, Dr. Peter Mihalos, have a great weekend, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. And thank you for everything you do for for our listeners. And thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Mario Economo, a former banker from uh, New York, London, Zurich, and uh, other large money center banks. And uh, he usually gives us a report on what's going on in Europe. Mario, what the heck is going on in Europe? Are things any better or worse? So good morning, Cats Roundtable. A couple of things to discuss this morning, and specifically, we know that President Biden Biden met with uh, the German Chancellor to discuss potential China involvement uh, in the war in the Ukraine, uh, China supporting the Russians. Uh, once again, I'm going to tell you that if, in fact, this were to happen uh, and the U.S. were to, along with Europe, impose sanctions uh, and uh, have China pay the price, as America is saying, Europe will once again come out the biggest loser in any type of scenario like that. The reason for that, obviously, is because Europe relies heavily on China as a market. And the reality is, even though China produces a lot of goods which are shipped to the U.S. and to Europe, for that matter, uh, Europeans rely on the large Chinese domestic market to be able to sell many of their goods. Well, uh any particular countries that are more so of a problem than others? Well, if you look at, for example, France, where LVMH is based, uh, the large luxury goods uh, uh, producer, uh, China and Asia, but which is really China, accounts for roughly one-third of their revenue. So if you were to sanction China and you were to say to LVMH, you're no longer allowed to sell in Asia and in China, uh, that would mean that they would see roughly one-third of their revenues decline. Now, it's true last year they did see that, but that was all specifically COVID-driven uh, because China was closed as a marketplace. So I don't, I don't believe many of these large European companies are going to be very excited to see uh, China put on the same list as Russia is, meaning that it is a sanctioned country and therefore they're no longer allowed to trade with it. I think there's something else we need to look at also, and that's the reality uh, that the Chinese, along with the Russians, are actually pretty far ahead in establishing a digital currency which is going to be backed by gold to allow many countries, China, uh, Russia, as well as many other countries in the BRICS uh, category, to engage in trade 
using this digital currency and moving away from the U.S. dollar. Again, this is going to be backed by gold. We know China since 2018 has been selling large amounts of U.S. treasuries, and they've been substituting that by buying gold in the open market. So the reality is we see there is essentially a decoupling being done by China and Russia away from the U.S. dollar and once again coming back to the theme of setting up a multipolar world versus a unipolar world. This will have an impact, by the way, on the U.S. Uh, in a unipolar world, the U.S. can run huge deficits and a large debt. In a multipolar world, that starts to become substantially more difficult. The cost of borrowing increases. Uh, uh, when you have many other countries out there that until now have been buying U.S. Treasuries and keeping our interest rates low, you're going to see a situation where they're going to start moving away from the U.S. Treasury market. They're going to start engaging in trade using this digital currency, which is backed by gold and other natural resources. And there will be a dramatic impact uh, and a shift eventually in our both our quality and standard of living in the U.S. and in Europe. Understood. Now, let me ask you. China, China's relationship with the United States, isn't it more important than China's relationship with Russia? So that's a very interesting question. And the short answer is, my personal opinion, I don't believe so. And I'll tell you why. China has a very large domestic market. China has a very large domestic savings rate. Um, does China want to lose the U.S. market? No, of course it doesn't. They want to continue to be able. They want to be able to continue to sell to the U.S. market. At the end of the day, that's what you know makes countries grow and makes uh, countries uh, productive. However, if China has to choose between a world where the U.S. is going to dictate terms and they're going to run the potential of being on the receiving end of sanctions in much the same way that Russia has been, China is going to seek an alternative route. And I believe that's what they're doing now. I think that we're going to see a very real economic war in the coming weeks and months between China and I don't know how it's going to play out. There's a uh, regular conventional military war going on in the Ukraine. We know that. But there's going to now be a very strong economic war, which is going to be waged between the U.S. and China. Um, either way, U.S. and China being what they are, Europe will once again come out the biggest loser in any type of economic war that's waged between China and the U.S. What is the status of Germany and France uh, creating uh, uh, nuclear uh, energy or, or talking about nuclear energy being a green energy? I think France will continue with uh, nuclear uh, power. It's a large component of its current industrial uh, uh, output in terms of energy. I think the Germans may consider it. I'm not sure that the current German government, as it's constituted, will go ahead with the Greens in it to allow for nuclear energy. I do know that one of the energy associations in Europe has said that the reality is Europeans can expect high energy bills through 2025. That's almost three years from now. So I'm not sure what that's going to do to industry. We already know we're beginning to see a very real deindustrialization of Germany. Um, that's pretty dramatic. It's uh, and it's driven principally by the fact that uh, the, the the large German companies can no longer get cheap energy from Russia and basically energy that they were getting in abundance, which was which which drove the German economic miracle has now disappeared. So 
so we're begin we're going to see German deindustrialization. I don't think the Germans under like I said the current government with the Greens as a part of it will actually resort to using nuclear energy. However, France will continue to use it. Understood. Uh, anything else you want to tell the American people? Yes, there's one thing I do want to say, and America has to be very careful with respect to this. Given the deindustrialization that I'm talking about that's going to start to occur, that's already started to occur in Europe, America has to be very careful. Um, at the moment, China, Russia, they're all over the world. While America is strictly focusing on Europe and the Ukraine and mustering support uh, for the war against the Russians by the Ukrainians, this leaves a vacuum and a void in the rest of the world that the Chinese and the Russians are filling. They are going out, they're visiting other countries, they're establishing trade and relations. The Chinese, uh, roughly 70% of the lending that happens in Africa is done by the Chinese. It's not done by the United States or by the Europeans for that matter. So the U.S. needs to be very careful that it doesn't focus all of its energies on the European Union. Uh, and the European Union also needs to be very careful that it doesn't rely exclusively on on the U.S. because what will eventually happen is you'll have a Europe and a U.S. and you'll have everybody else and that's not going to work in the interests of Europe or the U.S. Mario Konamu, thank you so much for your updates and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Enjoy your day. We're back. With us today is Larry Kudlow. And to find out how the week has ended, uh, Larry Kudlow, the the number one economist in my eyes uh, in our country and the number one show on Fox Business and he's leading CNBC by a mile. How are you, Larry? Thank you, John. I'm great. And on WABC on every Saturday between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock, so make sure you, you tune them in. Larry, what the heck is going on in the markets? Well, you had a good um, markets closed good yesterday and today. Uh, I'm not sure I'd put a lot of stock into it, but for whatever, the markets uh, were up for the week. So that's good. But, you know, the trouble with this story is the inflation rate is still too high. The Fed's going to be raising interest rates. Uh, productivity is down. Unit labor costs are up. That's bad for corporate profits. By the way, S&P profits actually fell fourth over fourth profits of the mother's milk of stocks. So I'd be a little concerned in the short run. Of course, I believe in buying stocks for the long term, so I don't pay much attention to that. And um, Joe Biden is uh, he's going to veto the ESG bill, which is going to cost $150 million retirees. Uh, could cost them a lot of money. It's a dumb idea. That's too bad. He won't make up his mind about the Willow uh, oil and gas reservoir in Alaska. He, he won't make up his mind on You that. had Senator Sullivan on your show. And yeah. uh, what did he say? Because that's interesting because Alaska was ready to go. And I thought Joe Biden uh, said he's going to do it. Well, Sullivan honestly didn't have much to say. He didn't want to divulge the conversation, which I think was too bad. But the issue, as I understand it, um, the Interior Secretary, Deborah Halland, is probably the main person in the administration holding up uh, a green light for Willow. And they want now, there was originally the request by Conoco was um, five pads, John. Then it was three. And now there's talk that Biden will okay two uh, 
And at two, people say Conoco doesn't make any economic sense for them to make the kind of investment, uh, you know, for for t- uh, two drilling rigs. So I don't know how it's going to wind up. It, it, and, and, you know, the war on fossil fuels has been so damaging. It's increased inflation. It's lowered economic growth. Uh, it's helped our enemies. So here we go again. I don't know how it's going to turn out, to be honest with you. We had Governor Mike Dunleavy of Alaska on, who's a very strong advocate, obviously, of uh, restoring our fossil fuels. I mean, we should be doing 14 or 15 million barrels a day. We're still hovering around 12. We were at over 13 before If the we pandemic. were doing 15 million barrels a day the way we were scheduled to do it, uh, I would bet you that uh, uh, oil would be at $55, $60. And, yeah. and there will be zero inflation. And, yeah. they won't, and, the, and the Fed would not increase interest rates because well, the I, Fed is killing the real estate market. I, you know, I, I agree with you. I agree. If we were doing what we should be doing, prices would be 30 bucks cheaper. It would help. You know, ordinary working families, uh, it would lower the inflation rate. It would probably also lower food because it would lower fertilizer. So that would be a big plus. And uh, wages instead, real wages would be rising instead of falling. So, But, you know, the look, they're very stubborn. They're very stubborn in the Biden administration. And it is not based on science. It's about politics. And that's too bad. Because when you make difficult decisions like this, it should be based on science and the economy, not some political ideology that willy-nilly says fossil fuels are bad. So what can I tell you, John? Mortgage rates are likely to be higher. Uh, I think that's probably going to happen. Uh, it depends on your income, though. And, you know, it depends on where you live and what you want. It's very hard for me to say that. I mean, I, I'm not in the home selling business. Housing's in a recession. Yeah. Housing's been in a recession for well over a year. Uh, housing starts are down. Sales are down. Uh, mortgage rates are below the peak, but they're pretty close to the peak. And in the last month, mortgage rates have been edging higher. Uh, so I, I don't know how to answer that, Rob, except to say, uh, you know, maybe you can find a cheap house. Prices are coming down. Prices are coming down nationwide. Uh, it depends on where you live, of course, but maybe that's a plus. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I was just seeing Larry, too. Um, in fact, it's the first uh, year-to-year decline in more than a decade of home prices. So that's not good for people, like as you said, Rob, trying to sell houses. You know, one thing I was going to ask you, to your point, uh, Larry, and this is Rita Cosby, and good to, good to be talking to you, my friend. Um, the, your point about the oil, um, I was wondering, you brought up the fact that they're given like two pads and Conoco says it's not worth it. I'm wondering from a political standpoint, is then the Biden administration going to say, see, look, we offered it to them. They didn't want it. And then they're going to vilify the oil industry like they've been doing all along. Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility, you know, and I think they know that. And I think they're trying to. They're trying to work through it. Let me make another point, though. You see, part of this story is natural gas, which is a clean burning fuel and liquefied natural gas. You know, look, if these dopes would open the spigot and allow us to. <laughs> We're all agreeing, produce, by the way. We like that analogy. Larry. I mean, if, you know, open the spigots, the more natural gas. And the more LNG uh, exported around the world, 
gives us a cleaner globe. Okay, if you believe, as uh, Biden says he believes, or this other guy, John Kerry, I'm not any want to comment about him. But if you buy into their Green New Deal and global warming stuff, then you should be a proponent of natural gas produced in the United States. It's a clean burning fuel, and our gas stuff is the cleanest in the world. That's how dumb they are. This is a solution, not a problem. But unfortunately, they see it as a problem. And it's costing us, as as John always talks about, the ripple effect of it all. I mean, you know what? I'm amazed that more Americans aren't aren't seeing this and saying, why are we not opening the spigots? I mean, you think about it. It's it's part of the whole process. It's just crazy. It just doesn't make any sense at all. All we're asking President Biden to acknowledge if you if we pump more oil, the price will come down and the Fed would not have to raise interest rates. That's way too. John, that's just way too smart. You know what I mean? It's just way too smart. Larry, I I will be listening to you. We're overcoming. We don't live in an era of common sense. We live in an era of craziness. Thanks for listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatsroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast. Get those segments that you missed. And that way you will be up to date.